Okay. Welcome to this workshop. I am Cindy H., and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hello. Please join me in a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me this serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I will now read our anonymity statement and the six traditions. Anonymity statement. To those of you who preserve the cherished tradition of anonymity by refraining from taking pictures in this or any other meeting room. We ask that in your reporting on OA, you use only first names or pseudonyms, indicated as such, of OA members, and that you obscure the faces of those who identify themselves as OA members. Sixth tradition, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. The format of this meeting is to have three speakers share for 20 minutes their experience, strength, and hope on the topic, followed by open pitches. The meeting is an hour and a fourth, uh, hour and a quarter long. Our topic is relationships more than just plants and pets. I will now read from the following selection. Having thus cleaned away the debris of our past, we consider how with newfound knowledge of ourselves, we may develop the best possible relations with every human being we know. This is a very large order. It is a task which we may perform with increasing skill, but never really finish. Learning how to live in the greatest peace, partnership, and brotherhood with all men, women of whatever description is a moving and fascinating adventure. The 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous, page 77. Our first speaker is Julie A. from San Leandro. I just said three very bad words in a row, and she said, that's one way to pray. <laughs> okay, so uh, my name is Julie A., and uh, I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. And uh, I just noticed that the exit is right there, so I do feel a little better. But, you know, I look around and I see there's a lot of friends here, but I know at any good given time this can turn ugly really fast. So, um, I, when I saw that it, I was given relationships, my first thought was, well, giving me a topic like that is, giving, is like giving fire safety as a topic to a pyromaniac. I know nothing. So when in doubt... Cram, you know, read the literature. So, um, you know, and as far as pests and plants go, I kill most things. So I, um, I have cactus. They're on their own. We do fine. I leave them alone. They leave me alone. And as far as pests go, um, I'll tell you this one story, and it may prejudice you against me. You may, you may really feel that, you know, I'm a far, a far bigger jerk than you thought before. But the truth is, is when I was real new in program, I mean, I'm talking first year without food, drugs, alcohol, nothing. We're talking first year. And I had a cat, a kitten, and I'd never had a kitten before. And I didn't know that what cats like to do is try and jump up on your lap. Some of them do, only this one wouldn't quite make it. So he'd sink his claws into my bare flesh and then slowly slide down. 
Now, being as I was already feeling like I had no skin on my nerve endings, I would pick him up, and sometimes I would gently toss him, you know, away from me, and sometimes I would toss him hard. And I would call my sponsor in tears, thinking I'm abusing a kitten here. I should be just very gently picking him, you know, getting his claws out of my flesh. And and what that same sponsor reminds me today is that um, for somebody... I'm not supposed to cry, but I'm hormonal, so it's okay. Um, For someone who couldn't take care of a cat, you're now taking care of your mother with Alzheimer's. And you have three cats. You've come a long way. Okay. I couldn't take care of myself or anything when I got here. And I mean that literally. The fact that I showed up today with underwear and clean clothes and um, I bathed recently. is all a real sign of the program, and I suppose I should get to the topic pretty soon, but let me tell you a little bit about who you've come to listen to about relationships. (laughs) You're in the wrong room. Okay. Um, Real briefly, I've been in Overeaters Anonymous over 23 years. I've been abstaining for a little over 18. My top weight in this program was over 200 pounds, and my bottom weight was 98 pounds, in this program, and I've been everything in between. Um, This is, I'm telling you about the relationship I had with food, okay? Uh, I came into Overeaters Anonymous, um, and I, you know, got a food plan, and I began working the steps, and I worked the steps. One, I admitted I was fat. Two, I think there's something that can help. And three, I'm happy to turn my life and will over to the care of a food plan and a scale. And when I hit step four, I just lost it. I didn't know. It was in English, but I couldn't figure it out. And um, I began, uh, after I got down to 98 pounds, and would have kept going, okay, because I was looking for that thing that you get from working the steps. I thought you got it from being thin. And uh, I went to an OA retreat and began compulsively overeating. Um, They do lock up the food between meals in case you haven't checked. I did. And... I ended up going from 98 to 200 in less than three months, and I did this during June, July, and August in Southern California, where it gets mighty, like here, it gets mighty hot. So um, that's the kind of relationship I had with food. It's very similar to the relationship, if you've ever, if you're old enough to remember the old Samsonite commercials with the gorilla in the cage with the suitcase, that's the kind of relationship food and I had, and food was the gorilla, okay? So uh, now, here we are today, and um, the only reason I'm standing up here and can, when I don't open my mouth, pass for normal is because of the 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous, uh, a higher power that you've given me, a loving God as I understand him, and uh, you. Uh, The first relationship I can think of that I had was that was a healthy one was when I came in the door and you welcomed me. Now, I couldn't hug when I got here. We didn't hug in my family except at funerals. And uh, I, I just stood there with my arms at my sides. I did not have, I, well, I thought I was in a group of weight-losing lesbians. And, <laughs> and then I moved to the Bay Area, and I am. <laughs> but it's great, you know. It's fun now. Then it was scary. And... um. So, what I'm getting at is you treated me with a dignity, love, and respect I was unable to show myself or any other human being. 
What you let me know when I came here was that I lost none of my status as a child of God because I had a problem with weight and food. You let me know I had a disease, that it wasn't a moral issue. I remember hearing that very clearly. Now, you welcomed me. Does that mean I took in the welcome? Barely. It means I wanted to get all the literature, take it home, read it, get well, and never see you again. And I had to keep coming back. And uh, so what happened to me was, um, over time, you know, like I said, I ate, and then I got abstinent. Uh, after, like, you know, two and a half years of benching and abstaining, I couldn't get abstinent once I lost my abstinence. And, um, and it's like, you know, trying to describe a miracle. It's hard to describe that. But I kept going to meetings. And, you know, I have heard people say in these rooms, that people treated them like dirt because they ate again or that they let them know they weren't welcome. I'll be honest with you, for two and a half years, nobody ever, ever, where they did, I was too self-obsessed to notice it, <laughs> told me I wasn't welcome. In fact, quite the opposite. Okay? People continued to hug me. It was me that had the problem. I wanted to slug them. Don't hug me. Okay? My attitude was, and still is a little bit today, when I'm bleeding and on fire, I don't need your love. I need your help. Once I get your help, then I can take in your love. But while I'm bleeding, and I, let's stop the bleeding first, and then we'll talk about relationships. So the bleeding is stopped as a result of um, a loving God working the 12 steps with a sponsor and abstaining. And I heard it this morning in another meeting, and I, it's true to me today as it was a long time ago, which is uh, abstinence still has to be number one with me in my life. It's got to be. I'm a compulsive overeater. I, it has to be number one. And I got a sponsor who felt this was a life and death program and treated it as such. I feel this is a life and death program and I treat it as such. Um, so the first relationship I had was, a, was one with a sponsor. Now I've had several sponsors. One of my sponsors was six months out of a mental institution, but I was two weeks off of sugar, so we were a match. <laughs> and, you know, we say in here, oh, well, if, you know, you're, you're safe, you're eating, you're not, they're so pucky. Uh, this sponsor, who was six months out of a mental institution, had enough together, or by the grace of God, let me stand, you know, sit in her living room on Thanksgiving Day. The only reason I didn't overeat on Thanksgiving was my sponsor was directly across the table from me. And watch the Twilight Zone marathon and cut the sugar habit, you know. So we did fine. And, but then, um, you know, I needed to get another sponsor, and I did, by the grace of God. And this woman was kind of no-nonsense, and uh, she had what I wanted. And um, she had lost 80 pounds, and had kept it off for, like, you know, five years. And she was an old-timer as far as I was concerned, and uh, she had what I wanted. And I did what she said to do. And what I found was that she treated me in a way with a dignity, a respect, and cared more about saving my life than what my feelings might do with direct questions like, you know, things like, I don't think I can bring the literature today to the meeting. I'm too upset. Bring the literature to the meeting. Be upset later. You know. Um, someone asked me to sponsor them. What should I do? Say yes. Okay? You know? I mean, she just kind of like walked me through it. And, and uh, 
Okay, so my first really good, the first relationship where I actually started to trust somebody, because I didn't trust myself, I didn't trust God, and I sure as hell didn't trust you, was I began trusting the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous because it didn't lie to me. I'd lied to me. I'd had people lie to me. But the big book didn't lie to me. It said, if you do these things, you can recover. And I was doing those things, and I was recovering. So sponsor, big book. And then uh, I learned, like, from you people by sponsoring. And, um, you know, relationship, we say relationship, and if you use the capital R, it means whoever you're having sex with. Relationship. Okay, that's your relationship. And it's all about, well, you know, I picked, uh, I'm married to a man today who I met when he was six months on parole. So I'm really not a role model here. Um, and, you know, he's still sober, you know, and goes back into institutions and carries the message. But um, the best thing I know to do for relationship is work these 12 steps, don't eat no matter what, and go to another 12-step program, of which because, you know, we keep to our primary purpose, I will not mention here. Um, but uh, that's what, okay, let me, let me do this. Uh, in the 12 and 12, the A8, 12 and 12, okay, where I learned about relationships was from the steps. And this is, this is what I'm going to read just a little bit. And this is on step 10, okay? Actually, no, let me do the one from the OA 12 and 12. Real quick here, guys, sorry. Um, it says, clearly, if we were going to remain abstinent and find serenity, we had to learn better ways of dealing with other people. Ways that would, notice it doesn't say not involve revenge, but it should. Um, <laughs> ways that would bring us joy instead of pain. Step 8 is designed to help us with this process. In Step 8, we look at our relationships for the purpose of discovering those patterns which have done harm to us and others. Yeah. Um, it says we meet guilt head on and get rid of it slowly. Um, it says, and we learn about the healing power of forgiveness as we discover how to forgive ourselves and others. And it says, we become willing to make amends, that is, to make changes in the way we deal with people who share our lives. And I guess that's one I want to talk about, the changes that have been made as a result of these steps that changed my life. Okay, let's start with the family. When, you know, I was very, very involved with food for a long time. My whole process was supply and demand, my demand and the supply don't get between it, me and it. So, um, you know, I didn't do things like birthdays, Christmases. Christmases I wrote IOUs, you know, stuff like that. I'll get to it later. People were basically cardboard cutouts in the drama of Julie's life. Very few had speaking parts. It was all about me, no kidding. And I cared about you, and if I ever get my stuff together enough to really be there for you, boy, I will be. But right now, I just don't have the time. I'm busy over here with the jack-in-the-box. So... It enabled me to start, oh wait, they told me, start showing up. For what? For life. For, for dates. For meetings. Show up for people. And that was a big deal. Um, employers like it when you show up. <laughs> Teachers like it when you show up. Uh, friends like it when they make a date with you and you show up. This was 90% of my program world, just show up Julie. Because I wasn't showing up anywhere, I'd always decide I'd rather eat instead, or I just gained a million pounds, so I can't let you see me like this now. 
I'll see you when I'm sick. I told my husband that we were going to have sex in my mind. He had other ideas. So I was thin. Had I waited, we'd probably just now be having sex, and we've been married 13 years. I don't think he would have gone for that. But um, So the relationships I've learned to deal with are, it's like it can as a byproduct of the program. It's not like I'm going to work on my relationship. It's I'm going to work these steps. I'm going to develop a relationship with God and you. And as a result, I learned how to take that stuff home and do it with my family. Uh, making amends to family sometimes helps. The one I know it only helps 100% is me. You know, some people, it didn't mean now we're friends again. It just meant I don't have to eat today. Okay. It talks about in here, you know, it's talking about, you know, steps eight and nine about, um, you know, we began to see that all people, including ourselves, are to some extent emotionally ill as well as frequently wrong. This is maybe news to some folks here. And then we approach true tolerance and see what real love of our fellows actually means. It, it will become more and more evident as we go forward that it is pointless to become angry or get hurt by people who, like ourselves, are suffering from the pains of growing up. Now, it also says, this attitude will take a long time to develop. <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> it certainly does. But it says in here, how do I get along with people? We can stop making unreasonable demands upon those we love. We can show kindness where we had shown none. And with those we dislike, we can begin to practice justice and courtesy, perhaps going out of our way to understand and help them. Perhaps not going out of our way, but at least I was told that, you know, if you're not getting along with somebody, just shoot for courtesy. Okay. I was also told that, you know, we can't always, we don't pick our family. And I don't, when it says honor your mom, your mother, and your father, it doesn't say you have to love them. It just says honor them. And for me, honoring means courtesy. Try and treat people like human beings. It, it says in here that uh, I try and treat people as I would have them treat me. I heard a prayer one time, the scariest prayer I ever heard, and it was, God, let people treat me tomorrow like I have treated people today. <laughs> Never am I uttering that prayer. Sorry. <laughs> Too scary. Um, thank you. Uh, okay, so a couple of, uh, let's see, relationships. All right, how the hell have I stayed married for 13 years and not cheated on my husband? You know, beats me, 12, really, the 12 steps, okay? Because I found out that I have to be honest in here. And now that I'm not eating, I have, I, you know, they say, you feel better and you feel everything better. Boy, do I feel. And, uh, and I don't know about you guys, but I've hurt people in here without meaning to do it. And the hurt's just as real, whether I meant it or not. And this program gives me a way to go where I can at least clean up my side of the street. Not just a, I'm sorry, but a, I apologize, and I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, with my family, uh, I made amends, but my sister still isn't speaking to me. Um, and there's nothing I can do about that, but I pray for her. You know, it says in here, with people, 
we dislike. We pray, we pray blessings for them, health, happiness, and prosperity. I pray for, um, I don't think he's ever going to hear this tape. I pray for my boss um, and immediate supervisors and people I sponsor and people who sponsor me because I am high maintenance. And um, I pray for my husband. I pray for my mom. I pray for uh, my mom's caregivers. And, uh, and that helps me. Uh, basically, I'll, sh I'll um, people say, you know, well, what about putting yourself at the top of your men's list? The biggest amends I've ever made to myself or will ever make to myself is that I stopped killing myself with food. When my food is in order, my life gets in order. And even when it's chaos, it's still in order. When my food's getting weird, everything in my life is weird. Um, so that's number one. I heard a lady say when I was real new in program that um, she worked on her relationship with her higher power and all her other relationships improved. I believe that's true because in order to stop making unreasonable demands upon other people, to treat me as I wanted and deserve to be treated, I need to rely on my higher power. My boss can't be responsible for my job security. My footwork and my God are responsible for whatever job I have. Um, there isn't enough food on the North American continent to fill me up. And there isn't enough love and there isn't enough of anything. But there is enough God. And when there isn't, it's because I've made my God too small. So what OA has continued to do is help me to, okay, here's how I'm broadening my relationship with my higher power. And this may be completely off the point, but so far I might as well be consistent. <laughs> is Seriously, um, I've learned to play the accordion. What's not to like about an instrument that has rhinestones glued on it? <laughs> But I mention that to you because I learned that ways to reach the higher power or be in touch with the higher power through art, music, literature, gardening, playing an instrument. So I'm learning to play an instrument. Because for many people, thank you, it makes them happy. And um, I've certainly cried long enough. And... Uh, I don't want to keep crying over stuff I do that puts me in conflict with you. Because of this program, I'm not in conflict with you as much. I'm not in conflict with myself. And I'm not in conflict with my God as much. And that's what's enabled me to have the gift of 18 years of abstinence and uh, this program. So, time's up. Thank you. Our next speaker is Rebecca H. from El Dorado Hills. <laughs> These two girls that I've seen, ladies, women, are so sharp. I thought they knew because that seat is the one that you will have to speak in first. So we were all fooled. It's just a, you can't, uh, can't bullshit a bullshitter, <laughs> but you can try. Uh, <laughs> I'm Rebecca, compulsive overeater. 
it's, it's hard uh, to speak to compulsive overeaters on a panel because we're very impatient. We're either waiting for a meal or we're waiting to go to the silent auction or waiting to talk to somebody and our minds wander. Uh, I should give you a high sign. When I get boring, I'll go like this. Go ahead. <laughs> Drift off. <laughs> it's good to get permission. I always pray. I always have since um, I started in program and I started to speak. And in L.A. in those days, I started program in Southern California. They didn't let you speak until you had a year. So I've, I've been in program and I've been abstaining for 21 years this last May. And I had not spoken for the first year. I just sat there and I shut up and I listened. And that was fine with me. I hated to take a chip. Every time I had to take a chip, I remember it was a real, like, three months and six months. And I'd be so glad that was over with. I love that now. Um, I love it because it's, it's a gift. That, why do I love it so much? I just love it. I, I love the attention. I'm not going to pretend I don't like to get those little hugs. But I also like that I'm a miracle. And I'm not any more worthy of being a miracle than anybody else. But that is why I like it. Because I can sit, stand up there and say to you, you're a miracle too. This isn't magic. But it's a miracle. I am so humbled by that. The relationship. What it, I'm sure everyone feels like relationship. I'm talking about relationships. I know no more about relationships than the last Dr. Phil I saw. Whatever. <laughs> no. I know. <laughs> sort of sad, huh? What I know about relationships I learned here, and it's that was so typical of what you're going to hear, uh, everything I learned in uh, about life I learned in OA. But it's so true. My primary relationship is with myself, truly. If, if, I know that people say it's God, but you know, I'm only speaking for myself. I had such a horrible relationship with myself. I, I was the, the epitome of the definition, big, fat liar. I was a big, fat liar. And most of my lives revolved around you liking me, me fooling you, you, you um, getting something from you. you. I was terribly lonely. I remember that was the primary focus of my day that I was so horribly, horribly lonely. I remember laying on the bed and crying because I was so lonely. An old friend in Southern California, his name was Webster, and he's passed away. He died abstinent, and he used to say, uh, we don't have relationships. We take hostages. <laughs> so I, could, I could quote you guys all day and have the best pick. You know, I could have the best talk, but I can't do that because it's me. So I have to just, you have to just deal with Rebecca. Um, I always remembered that, and I, I got it. I got it that I had. I loved my husband so much. I love you. Oh, oh, I, love you. <laughs> I love you too, honey. <laughs> I, I, did, I, I took you hostage. And there was another man that used to say, we go, a compulsive overeater goes into a room filled with people that love them, and there's some people there that hate them. And he, go, he or she goes over to the part of the room where they hate him. Why don't we all go to where the people love us? Because we want them to change their mind. We want them to change their mind. And that's what I would do. I would batter you with people-pleasing, which turns out pleases no one. Have you noticed? And have you also noticed that hardly anyone people-pleases you? <laughs> I've always said to the 
people who people please this? Why is it everyone trying to please me? I find that irritating. <laughs> I've, I've released that with love. <laughs> I'm sure you thought that too. So anyway, that's what I did. I, I tried to get you to love me. And I, I really should have just worn a t-shirt, you know, cut to the chase. Please love me, please, please, please. I will use my credit card to do anything you want me to do to get you to love me. And then when you did, when you showed me some kind of devotion, when you, I, I, I'm not going to say that I rejected you because I didn't. I took you hostage. But also, I said to myself, another one fooled. So I got what I wanted and I didn't believe it. If they knew what I was like, they wouldn't like me. Hell, I didn't know what I was like. Maybe if they knew what I was like, they could tell me and give me a clue. I didn't know what I was like. That's why I say my primary relationship was, was with myself. And, of course, from that becomes my... I, 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 everything can't be primary, Rebecca. But my other primary relationship is, is my relationship with God. I speak constantly, constantly. Prayer is such a huge part of my day. This morning I said to God in my, my meditation... I talked to you about this about 20 years ago. Why am I still talking to you about it? And I think he said, well, why don't you learn it and we can move on. <laughs> but, you know, I, I get a lot of really, the, the only answer I ever want to hear is what I want. I don't want to hear the answer of no or wait or later. I don't even mind hearing an answer of change, because I'm willing to change, and I love that about this program. I love how fluid it is. I love that today I'm like this, and next month or next year, whenever God comes into it, I will be different and better. I can say that humbly, because when you're walking a spiritual path, that's just the way it goes. You might not have come here to walk a spiritual path. Bad news. <laughs> But that's what you get. If you like it or not, eventually that's what you're going to get. And that's what you're going to love. You're going to embrace that as we all, as most of us have. Anyway, I have. Um, my relationship with food. Oh, talk about a whack job. Jeez. Well, I had a bad meal about half hour ago. And I, I can't get over it. <laughs> Everybody else ordered better than me. They did. I saw what they were eating. I don't know how I made it such a blunder. <laughs> I had the same amount of time to pick the meal as they did, but I somehow picked wrong. And I feel that God owes me a good meal now. <laughs> I, I do that. I do. I don't get it. You know, I mean, I'll get a, I'll get a dinner tonight that will be uh, satisfying in its fashion, but he will never be able to make do with that bad meal I had today at lunch. I didn't eat here, so I don't know what you guys had, but it, where I went was nice. And I had the best company. It almost made up for it. <laughs> I really did. I mean, I did have the best company. In fact, when we were saying our little prayer, I got sort of teary. I am so amazed at the quality of people that God has brought into my life. It really dazzles me. I was picturing, you know, whoever du jour was 20 years ago, uh, Warren Beatty and Jack Nicholson probably. Now it's Julia Roberts and somebody else. But I got you. And I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Uh, who, I can deserve all this. I am so, I'm dazzled that I have such a great life. I, I do have the best possible relationship with everyone in my life. And sometimes that's really not a great relationship. But it's the best relationship I have. 
my relationship with food is still sort of weird. It, it's still, I do not recoil very often, is it from a hot flame? I mean, I mean unless you're serving raid or something, I, really, I very rarely, I, don't you, I mean, I know it's, it, and I, I think I need to say that for, for the newcomer. Maybe that's scary for them, but then maybe that gives them hope too, that I don't have to hear the words, devil's food, triple layer, blah, 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 and think, yes, master, yes, yes, master. I used to think that if I heard it, if I wanted it, I had to have it. I had to have it, preferably when you weren't around, so I didn't have to share it, or you didn't have to see me eat it. But yes, eventually, I was going to have to have that thing that was commanding me. And I still think that way about stuff, but I'm not going to have it. It's not worth it. It's not worth the price. It's just... I suffer sometimes. I, I, that doesn't sound very positive. I, I really do suffer, though. I mean, I, want, I wanted the saltines last night with my salad. Like, like people wanted crank. <laughs> now, if you're eating crackers, don't worry about it. It's fine. What I can eat can kill you, and what you can eat can kill me. I don't care about what the hell you eat. I only care about what I eat. <laughs> I don't care what you eat. I, I, I want you to be happy with your food and, because I want you to walk a spiritual life and I want you to have the promises of the program, of course. And, if, and that takes a, a, a certain discipline with your food. Discipline, I'm not interested in discipline. How this ever got into my vocabulary. But discipline is such a huge gift, isn't it? To say I'm going to be there and be there. I notice, though, that I sit around and wait for a lot of people that are late. A lot of nice steps have been written in a parking lot somewhere. Why is this bitch late again? Why is she always so late? But I'm disciplined. I mean, my side of the street is clean. If I say I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there. I might, I might show up in a, in a tacky little whatever attitude, but I'm, I'm there, and I'm going to do the best I can for you, whatever I'm there for you for, in my business or, or here in the meetings or any, anything I take on, I try to do my best. Well, that's, that doesn't make me anything fantastic, but it wasn't a goal. I thought you should do your best for me. That was sort of a goal for you. <laughs> I said that for you. <laughs> you failed me. It's a, I have a, I have a sort of a bad relationship. I don't know, I don't like to say bad and good about relationships. You know, I have a relationship with some guy in China I've never met, because we're human. You know, so there you are. I have a, he doesn't bother me much. <laughs> I like him. <laughs> I, and I, I may be, being in the cosmos someday we'll meet. We, we all are related in some way. We happen to be here related by Twinkies and silly you know, but we are related. I mean, I have a relationship with everyone here. If I never meet you, you know me. You know me, and I've let you know me. So you pretty much know me. Like you. <laughs> my dad, I just adore my dad. I don't think a day ever goes by that I don't, when I speak to him, don't, he doesn't tell me he loves me, and I love him, and, and all that. And, but, you know, he thinks I'm the saddest woman that ever lived. He's seen me lose a lot of weight. I didn't get as thin as I wanted to, but it's not over yet. I just have this. 
this body today, I guess this is go weight. I don't believe it either, but that's what I say. Because I really, my food is so clean and I exercise and all that. So anyway, and he always say to me, okay, baby, I love you. Watch your, as I say, I try to head him off at the past because it's so painful for him to constantly say that. But I'm not going to stop talking to my dad because he has that anorexic mindset about women or whatever. But I don't, I said, Dad, I really don't like you to talk to me about this. It really bothers me. Now, I haven't said it once. I've said it dozens of times. Now, maybe you would cut your dad off if you did that. You know, maybe you would. And maybe that would be right for you. If you talked to your sponsor and you prayed, maybe that would be your answer. This is my answer. I want a relationship with my dad. He's a pill sometimes. And I don't see that he's going to get better, really. But I love him so. So it is the bitter with the sweet. Isn't that funny we use that term? Always a food thing, you know. But the bitter with the sweet. I've been married a long time. It has been one glorious honeymoon of love and romance. (laughs) People stop us in the street and say, how do you do it? (laughs) I think, for me, I always have to remember, and this is so important, it's such a big part of who I am. Rebecca, don't forget, you're a glutton. You're a glutton. They were going to name it. Remember, Glutton's Anonymous. I'm glad they didn't. This is bad enough. But, I mean, it's all semantics. It's all semantics. But a glutton is a glutton in every area of their life. There isn't enough. Yes, I do love my husband. Yes, he does love me. Do I want him to love me? Not really. I want him to worship me. I want him to adore me. I want him to kiss the hem of my garment. I'll be honest with you. What I got was a man, and that's what I got. <laughs> but, you know, hey, you know, most days good enough. But I, I signed up for, I'm a glutton. I signed up for more. I signed up for more with everything. Why can't I have the saltine? I could have the saltine. No, I can't have the saltine. So don't, don't have the saltine. No, don't. <laughs> can have those damn things, but I'm still trying to hedge it, hedge my bets. You know, what can, I, what can I get away with here? My kids are great. But I did sign up for Princeton graduates. You know, that's what I signed up for. I got, I mean, they work hard and they're wonderful sons, beautiful human beings, uh, really, better than your kids, for sure. <laughs> I, really, I really do love them. I think they're so great. But, you know, no, I mean, that's a mom for you, you know. But, I did. I raised them. I raised them in program, and they're pretty damn good. But yeah, I signed up for more. Sure, I did. I didn't. I signed up for all the things that a glutton signs up for, which is more, more, perfect, more, more, and perfect. And I got this. And boy, it's better than anything I could have dreamed of because it's real, and I can live it. I can live this life. It's not too big for me. It's not too little for me. It grows exponentially, depending on how much work I'm doing. Um, I, I've been given this great gift, and it's a pleasure to share this, my little story with you, and I thank you so, so much. Um, I, I love the fact that we grow. I love the fact that we can be up here next year, and I can say, forget all that stuff I said. I, I'm different now. I'm whatever. I'm new and improved, Rebecca, like Tide. <laughs> So, that, you know, you always want a big close, you want a big opening, you want all this stuff, but what you get is 
a compulsive overeater here saying, I'm a coward, and so are you. Take my hand. Our third speaker is Evelyn R. from Reseda. Good afternoon. My name is Evelyn. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I'm delighted here. Um, I, I was okay with the part where we were going to talk about relationships, and then I got here, and it says more than just plants and pets. And that struck me as so funny because, for those of you who know my story, uh, I, I was... I was thinking about what I was going to talk about, and I went, well, I don't have to tell the dog story, and now I'm here, and i got to tell the dog story. You know, I'm going, okay, fine. Um, I have been coming into Overeaters Anonymous for over 17 years, and I've uh, uh, maintained a weight loss of 115 pounds for most of that time. And thank you. Uh, I was an obese child. I was an obese baby. I was a 14-pound baby. I was obese all my life. And, and uh, that gets me to where I, I will eventually go when I hit the relationship part. Um, and I had left uh, school when I was 16. I emancipated myself, went to work. So I have a 10th grade education. So by the time I rolled into Overeaters Anonymous, I'm 42 years old. And I had a 16-year-old daughter. I had been married briefly um, 16 years before to a rock musician who became fabulously wealthy the day he left me. And uh, <laughs> it's funny how they never could serve them with a subpoena, you know. And <laughs> I see them on TV all the time. And, um, uh, and my, uh, so I had this daughter, and I'm 42, and we're living in the San Fernando Valley in low-income housing. We had, I had raised her in low-income housing. Uh, I had a 10th grade education, had two full-time jobs, a part-time job. Um, I, you know, I, I worked, when I came into program, I had worked every day for 17 years. I once broke my leg and I had it fixed between jobs. You know, I mean, I never missed, I worked every day, a minimum of five hours a day, but usually I had 14 hour days and then I had this child. Um, I, I, I was not a good mother. Um, I'm uncomfortable around people, you know. I just, I'm uncomfortable around people. Uh, you stand too close, you talk too loud, and then you want to hug me, you know. And, and it was funny because so many people came up. I was the greeter this morning for two hours. And about 27 minutes, too long. And, uh, and how many people said, my God, I can't believe, are you the greeter? I go, yes, I am. How can I help you? You know, and several people, uh, more than I care to count, said, I can't believe that you're the greeter and that you're giving hugs. I said, yes, between eight and ten. <laughs> you know? You want one now, you get it, you know? Um, I, I, so I've always been uncomfortable with people, you know? Um, I'm uncomfortable with things. I'm uncomfortable, I'm a control freak, and I'm a better employee than almost anything else. I like to go to work, particularly if you have a manual. No? And I'm like super employee. That's what I do well. I, I set a standard in every job I've ever had that made other people resentful, you know? And, um, and, and that's hard. And I didn't care. Um, I happen to like food. 
I, I, food does it for me. You know, it, the smell of it, the way it looks, you know, the way it feels. You know, I just, I, I like food. Tried everything else. It didn't work as well as food does, and it's cheaper, you know. And, uh, and so uh, by the time I rolled into this program, you know, I'm 42. My daughter is 16. She's trying to get away from me. I'm trying to keep her alive. You know, and she's spending every waking minute running away from home, and I'm spending what few minutes I have that are free hunting her down and dragging her back in, locking the door. My life was a mess. Even though I held, I held a job, I put food on the table, um, I wasn't happy. I had no friends, uh, and I didn't really want any. You know, that, that was another obligation. You know, my life is filled with obligations. And... Um, and I, I, I prefer to be alone. I, I tend to be solitary. I used to, uh, for, for years in this program particularly, you know, I thought, I'm isolating. You know, but you know what, as I've gotten older, I'm going, I'm more of a solitary person, and that's okay, you know, as long as I don't let it lead into isolation. So, my, when I came into this program, I kind of came sideways into the program. I wanted to... Um, I didn't want to lose 100 pounds. I have to tell you that. For some of us who've been severely obese all of our lives and, and our lives aren't working and we know that God is not going to let us out of this life early, you know, that uh, losing 100 pounds is, is like, you know, like number five on your hip parade. You know, it's like, you know, I, I was very clear on what I wanted and I came to 12-step programs because they were free and cheap. You know, and you only get as much as you as you give. You know, so you can sit there. You know, and and you know, and but I was enchanted by the big book and the promises of the big book. And the big book says if you do this, 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 and this, you'll get this, this, and this. This is right there in the first five chapters. You will get a personality change. And I knew that I did not want to live another 42 years like the life that I had. You know, I, I wanted to be happy. I came in a program and they said, what do you want? You know, you know how they, they say, what do you want? You know, write down the person. You know. And I said, I want to be happy. And everybody said, well, okay, don't you want to lose 100 pounds? No, I don't care. I didn't care. I wanted to be someone else. I wanted to be not Evelyn. So by the time I came in here, that's what, that's really what I wanted. I wanted some peace of mind. And my daughter at the time was living out of my house, and I would see her once a week. And she was she was about 16, and my and my daughter had had this dog that I had bought for her. It was a black Labrador Retriever, and uh, as you know, they're very patient and very kind and loving dogs. And and I that dog was another obligation I had had for 10 years. And my, even though my daughter you know took care of her and everything, and uh, when I was new in program and I started cleaning up my food, for some reason I decided that I would work on my relationships. And I decided I would walk the dog. Now, the, the dog and I had been living together now for about a year by ourselves, you know, and, and I fed the dog, I watered the dog, I cleaned up after her. I don't, I don't like to touch dogs. I mean, you know, I, you know so we don't touch each other. And she would sit there patiently by my chair. And uh, so finally I decided I'm going to walk the dog every day, a minimum of five days a week. This is how I do my program. First time I put 
I put the leash on the dog. The dog refused to walk out of the gate. I mean, she she's skidding on the cement, right? <laughs> and and I really didn't think about that until we came back after I dragged her down the street <laughs> and walked. And she saw the gate, and she, like, lurched back, and she was so grateful to be home because she thought I was going to give her away, I guess. You know? And you know what? Till the day that dog died, two years later, every time I took her for a walk, she was always grateful to be home. You know? And I started to look at that. And I started to look about the things that Evelyn does and, how, and the behaviors that Evelyn had. And I started to allow people to converse with me and to converse with them and I had people in my life that were very kind to me. I got well with the very sick ones in this fam- in this family, this community. Uh, the people, the meetings that I went to uh, in the time in the San Fernando Valley, we used to have meetings at midnight, you know, and in, in those meetings were all the heavily medicated men. <laughs> you know, who pace up and down, you know, and, and they've been coming into this program for a long time and, and they, they never quite get it and they've had hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of therapy and medication and, and you know what, they made a place for me at their table because I had been asked to leave meetings because I didn't fit in and, and I got well listening to them talk about the stupid things their therapist told them to do that day, you know, and I would, and and they made a place for me, and I, we developed a relationship. And then uh, they pushed me somewhere else. And they said, you know what? You've got to get out of here, you know, because I got well. I got well, and they did not. And But they made me become the kind of a woman that the winners felt more comfortable with when I would be sitting in a meeting. And I was six, seven years in program, and I remember I took a candle, and there's some in the San Fernando Valley, you know, it's, it's almost the, the birthplace of Overeaters Anonymous, you know, and everybody who's anybody in the program is in that area. And I remember, you know, I call them, you know, the icons, you know. And, and I remember taking a candle and, and, and this woman coming up to me and saying, you know, I, I was so surprised that you were taking a candle for six years. I think I was six or seven years. And I said, oh, really? And she said, I don't remember seeing you ever be, you know. She said, I'm just, she said, I would have said you were just a year or so in program. And you know what? I had been sitting in the same meeting every Sunday morning with that woman for five years, you know. But I changed. I wasn't that woman anymore. I learned to treat people with justice and courtesy. When I didn't know what to do, I learned to be courteous. I learned to be quieter. And with me, it started with the food. When I put too much grease, too much sugar, too much salt, large quantities of food into this body, I become mean-spirited, judgmental, uh, loud, obnoxious, arrogant, uh, and not the kind of person that gets invited to great parties, you know? And I want to be the kind of person that gets invited to great parties. I, my goal is to be the kind of person when you're driving down the street, you know, 4,000 miles from home, and you turn and look at something and you say, isn't this great? Or you have some serendipitous thing happen to you and you go, you know who would have really enjoyed this? Evelyn would have. You know, I want to be remembered fondly in this program. And, and I'm so grateful to this program. From the dog, I developed a relationship with my daughter. 
Many of you have heard these stories. Because my relationship with my daughter did get worse. It was horrible when I came in. And when I started to change in Overeaters Anonymous, and my behavior became very erratic, don't think it doesn't, particularly if you're trying to change a habit. You know, because you slide back and forth, back and forth. I became more scarier than anything else. And I tend to, for the 16 years that she remembered me, she remembered me as cold and dictatorial and violent. I tend to be that way. And for several years, she was very, 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 very uncomfortable with me and chose not to see me, or, and she ran away more as I got well in this program. And when she was 18, she moved out of my house, and we did not speak for several years. And it was during one of those periods, during that period, that I found out that she lived right next door to me for a whole year. And I can remember coming home by that time I had met the man who eventually became my husband and we lived next door in the condos next door. And, and he would say, what's the matter? And I go, oh, I saw the girl that looks like my Michelle. And I would just see this girl just like, I saw her like four times in the year. And she, I just see the back of her and she reminded me so much of my daughter, you know. And my husband said, what are you going to do about that? And I said, I'm doing what I have been told to do. And what, the advice that I was given was, Evelyn, you were not a really good mother, mainly because I, well, I tend to be, I'm an orphan, so I didn't have any, I didn't have any parenting skills modeled for me. Once that was explained to me, I'm okay. And, and they said, you know what, if you think it's hard being the, the mother or a parent of a child, wait till you're the parent of an adult child. And my advice to you is to offer suggestion and never give advice. And that's what I did. I also made a point of, I, I fall, fall into a trap where I would think to myself, oh, gosh, I wish, I wish I could talk to Michelle, you know. And then I would go, oh, shoot, my birthday's in two weeks, so if I call her now, she'll think I'm calling to remind her of my birthday, you know. And, okay, so uh, that means I have to wait two weeks after that not remembered my birthday, and then she'll think I called because she didn't remember my birthday, so I'll call her six months from Tuesday. You know, I mean, <laughs> these kinds of things. And I remember sharing about that and, and how just wanting to pick up the phone and talk to her. And somebody came out of the audience and said to me, you know what, um, you, this, you're making this more complicated than it is, but doesn't your daughter have an answering machine? And I said, yes. And she said, he said, he, it was a man, and he said, you know what, you're not responsible for what she, you know, says, thinks, or feels, so why don't you just call her machine, you know, and tell her how you feel. And you know what, I did that for several years. I, and actually, that's the way I communicate with people who make me uncomfortable as I talk to their machines. I still do that on my job when I have to make one of those phone calls. I go, lunchtime. <laughs> Now's the time. I'm calling. And then my boss will say, are you going to take care of that? 1215. <laughs> but I would call my daughter and I would just say, you know, I was somewhere and I saw this and it made me think of you. You know, I hope things are going well with you. You know, I love you. Goodbye. And you know what? I didn't have to wait for any feedback or any of that stuff. You know, it was like guilt-free love, you know. And I did that for like a year and a half. My daughter, and it drove my boyfriend crazy, you know, because... He had this very close family. He has five children who have five children who have five children. Don't ever marry a Lutheran. I mean, I don't know what they <laughs> And he would, he would call her and say, 
Mother's Day is coming. Don't forget your mother. You know, and my daughter would just go berserk thinking that I would, make, you know, have him do this. You know, and I, of course, I would. I was too proud to do that. You know, I'm not begging her. You know, I'm done with her. But I did what, what I could in a way that was appropriate. And you know what? Oh, as the years have gone by, our relationship has healed to the point where my daughter calls me every day. My daughter wants to spend time with me, and it's very annoying. <laughs> I mean, how many freaking phone calls? I mean, what? We spend, you know, I got my three calls. They got to call me three times, and then I have her, you know. And, I'm, and you know what? I've learned to get through it with graciousness. Graciousness works. It's part of courtesy. Uh, with my husband's children, the perfect children, who have all turned out to make our lives very unhappy, uh, they, uh, I, I, I learned to date in this program. I did not date OA men because they did not ask me, okay? And so uh, a man in this program was my social sponsor, and uh, he, he, I learned how to, to stand up straight and be more gracious and, and practice dating, right? So my husband was the, the, the nicest man in the room. I was supposed to date the nicest man in the room. Well, I don't particularly like nice men. I mean, God bless you, but I like, you know, those, those loud, arrogant, gambling men. You know, I like those riverboat men. You know, I mean, I'm with you when we fight each other for the stage. You know, and I mean, I just, and, and uh, every man, including my, hus- my first husband, was always that kind of person. You know, duh, that doesn't work for you. Oh, okay. So practice dating boring men. Oh, okay. All right, I'll do that. You know, yeah, right. I only have to do, he told me that I only had to do this for a year, you know, because life is hard and you shouldn't go through it alone. Well, I think that's a stupid idea. <laughs> you know, I had gotten rid of my daughter. You know, I had OA. I'm, you know, my life was better, you know. And this man comes out of the, you know, the crowd of you and says, what are you going to do about this aspect of your life? Shut. So, so I started to, I, I was supposed to go and listen in the restrooms uh, to the women talk about the men, and, and uh, I was supposed to pick the man that they all said the nicest things about, okay? And then I was supposed, my, my goal was to become the kind of woman that this man would date, all right? Just like a science project, right? Okay. I'm taking notes. I come back and report. I change, my, you know, so who I am, and a, a year and a half goes by. And uh, I started to date my hus- the man who became my husband, and um, and 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 his friends were very upset, you know. And, and several of his friends were very cruel to me because I was not at all like the women that he normally dated. And um, and one per- person took me aside, uh, one of his closest friends, and said, "I really think that you should really rethink this because." You are not even in the same ballpark with him. And I went home and reported, you know, and, and, and my mentor said, figure out how to get in the ballpark. All you need is to buy a seat, you know. And, and then it's a win-win situation. You know, this is a win-win situation. Because when this doesn't work out, there'll be somebody else coming along, and pretty soon you're going to be the kind of woman that a man like this would be attracted to. Okay? So uh, we used to call my husband the science project. And, <laughs> and you know what? He, he asked me to marry him. He had never asked all those other women to marry him. You know? And I didn't marry him for 10 years. 
and uh, we and then I married him, and uh, we lived together in sin for ten years and had a glorious time, you know. <laughs> and um, and and we've we've been married uh, coming up four years, and I learned to do that here. You know, he's a normal person. He's the kind of person that says, you know, that's too much. Really? <laughs> More for me? You know. <laughs> Do I still have, my relationship with God is still very minimal. Uh, uh, somebody asked me earlier, you know, how's the God thing going? And I said, you know, he's becoming more comfortable with me. <laughs> you know, I am not, a, 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 a God and I are very uncomfortable with each other. Okay. I don't have a lot of trust in him. Um, I'm getting there. I don't have a lot of trust in a lot of things, and I'm getting there. Um, what I have, it works. And uh, when it doesn't work, I change it, you know? And, and I'm, but what works for me is this program, the 12 principles of this program, the 12 steps of this program, the tools of this program. When I don't know what to do, I have those to fall back on. I'm so grateful for Overeaters Anonymous for allowing me and encouraging me to become the woman that I am today. I look forward to the future with a great deal of anticipation. Is my life going to be good? No, it's not. My husband has a degenerating mental disease and it's going to be really nasty. And you know what? That's the way life is. You know? And I'm so grateful that I have Overeaters Anonymous. I, I look forward to the future with a great deal of anticipation. I want to age gracefully in this program. I want to know you. And I want you to feel comfortable with me. This program means everything to me. It has washed over my soul uh, like water through the parched desert. And I, I think you really ought to give it a chance. Thank you. This meeting is now open for three-minute pitches. Please limit your sharing to three minutes and confine your share to your experience, strength, and hope on the topic discussed today. Also, all participants must sign the tape release forms. It will be up here. Please sign up before your pitch. My name is Annette. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. I just want to thank these three wonderful women who have been a part of my life and a part of my recovery, two of them, for since I've been here 19 years ago when I came to OA in the San Gabriel Valley. Rebecca and Julie were there, and some 10 years ago, I think I met Evelyn. And it's just a, such an honor to be in just in the same space with people who have continued to return to OA and give back what they've been given. And um, to be here and be part of that is really awesome, absolutely awesome. And I really want to thank these people, these women, because when I came to Overeaters Anonymous, I was 252 pounds, and I've given up about 110 pounds. I was smoking 
drinking, eating, doing everything to destroy myself. And I saw people here who learned, taught me how to take care of myself and how to not destroy myself in the ways that I was and to, who loved me no matter what. Um, I really related to something Julie said. Uh, Rebecca's probably laughing because she probably remembers one of the meetings that I went to. I was doing coffee, and I think I got up and pitched and told everybody what an asshole they were. <laughs> and during the break, several women came up to me and hugged me and said, Oh, keep coming back, Annette. And I thought, this is really a sick punch. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, you know what? You love me. You guys love me. You, you love me even when I couldn't love myself. And I'm just learning that, how to love myself. Um, Julie said something about nobody ever... What you say, Julie? <laughs> <laughs> nobody ever uh, treated me like dirt when I came back and I was, you know, eating. And, you know, I have been here for 19 years, and I have two weeks, two months, and eight years of back-to-back -back abstinence. And that means I had, if you do the math... I never do that too good. Anyway, about 10 years of, of having to have chocolate on my face or something coming back to these meetings. And I have never had anyone reject me. I've had nothing but love from the people in this program. And for that, I am ever grateful. Thank you. compulsive overeater and my gosh well for one thing I was one of the people with Rebecca at lunchtime and God does owe her a meal it was like, it was like a dog threw up her plate I was just disgusted but I was very happy because I really hate it when people out order me and I knew I had out ordered her this time so I was thrilled I was like yes I rock anyway she does I will be there in line to tell him he owes you a meal um I'm listening to you and the years and years and years of recovery, you know, and I think how many more years I have to go to even reach to this level and, and it inspires me and then also discourages me a little bit. <laughs> um, about relationships, um, I was single for 17 years. Of that 17 years, probably nine of it, eight of it, I chose not to date because I had a daughter and the first few years I was single with my daughter, it was just a tug of, rope, tug of war um, on where my attention goes. So whether it was intuitive thought or not, I chose not to date. And then my daughter went off to college and I dated prolifically and it was a joke. It was a joke, I just was next, next, you know, it was just amazing what was out there. Um, <laughs> and I'm trusting me, they're probably saying the same thing. Um, and then I got married a year and a half ago. And I am thoroughly convinced, <laughs> I'm like you, who thought of this marriage thing? Because uh, it's, I believe with all my heart that this marriage, this relationship is just another tool God is using in my life and I believe in his life to help us to become the people we're meant to be. But it's not always fun. Now, I have to say with him, about 90% of the time, I just am thrilled with him and I have a blast. But that 10% can be living hell. And we're from two different cultures. 
I'm a California born and bred, loud mouth, outgoing, uh, balls to the wall type woman, and he is a British born, reserved gentleman. And how do you get two cultures? This is how far apart we are. When I said to him one time, hey, let's go to this workshop, meaning some, I don't know, some psychological teacher had a workshop, I won't say who it is. Let's go to this workshop together. He said, a workshop? Well, what are we working on? What, are we building something? What is it? <laughs> he had no idea what a workshop was. And I thought, oh, my God, we're in trouble. I mean, I, you know, cut my teeth on workshops. I'm California, you know. And, um, I mean, he immigrated here to marry me. So he really is fresh meat. Um, <laughs> oh, and he now is in charge with my business of 12 real estate women. And we are all balls to the walls, and he is just constantly blinking his eyes like this. <laughs> so I have a lot of compassion and understanding for him. But what I will say is in the short period of time that we've been together, the amount of growth I've experienced has been tremendous, and Rebecca can probably testify <laughs> She's had to go through it with me. And I will say this. If I had to make a choice of how I would learn and grow and change, this would not have been it. But I'm thinking, God, I don't make the choices. I would rather just go on a cruise with a nice teacher and, you know, we all get together and pray a lot and we get the, we get uh, evolved from that. It doesn't happen that way. And, of course, the buffets would be fabulous. <laughs> I didn't get that. I got a wonderful, sexy, exciting man who comes from a different culture and has different opinions. Where does that come from? Than I do. And... I get to learn how to love and accept someone exactly the way they are without trying to change them. And when I don't like something about them, I get to work on myself. And I have written more in this last year and a half. I think my hand is going to fall off, but I've grown more because of it. So thank you. Sandy, compulsive overeater. And um, the first person I want to talk about is my daughter. She's been fire. She's 27 years old, and uh, she's always loved fire. And it's really dangerous. <laughs> she's been hurt twice. Um, she belongs to a group that uh, spent fire, and uh, they were on the front page of the Oakland Tribune. For any of you guys that get that newspaper, you saw the article. Um, all I can do is um, say that fear prayer that's in the big book, um, take the fear of Laura burning herself um, from me and in its place, um, uh, direct me to what you would have me do, which um, I think is uh, just think about other things. <laughs> you know, don't don't be concentrating all my thoughts on her. Um, so um, that's basically what I've done. Believe it or not, she never asked me could she join this group. You know, <laughs> did I say she's 27? I don't know. If I <laughs> um, anyway. Um, 
the second person I want to talk about is my brother. Um, his a year, he was a year and a half younger than I am. He died um, July 10th. Um, I wanted to tell you, um, I always thought that I would have more time and that someday we would be intimate. Um, last uh, night, the Melissa, her name was, uh, spoke about uh, children who are abused in their homes. Um, one of the things she didn't mention is that um, everybody takes off for different parts of the country because nobody wants to be around each other because they remind each other of the pain. And so my brother and I were not friends. And um, I always thought we would be. Um, when the cancer got to his pancreas and liver, um, I decided that if he couldn't know me, that I would make a point of trying to increase our intimacy so that, okay, he could know me. I, I might not get to know him better. But, so um, I wrote or called to him every week. And um, I'm so glad I did that. And last April we went to see him. He was still well enough to take us out on the bayou and stuff. Um, I got to see the life he leads and he led and how his, um, he and his wife were so happy together. And um, that was such a great comfort to me. So I just want to encourage you that if you um, have relationships and you sort of put them on the back burner as, um, you're going to take care of this later. Um, no time like the present. Thanks. It is now time to close the session. Let's thank our speakers again. Please stand where you are, and after a moment of silence, join me in the OA promises? The unity prayer, thank you. Yes. <laughs> I put